Welcome. This is Anastasia Glova bringing you the Cato Daily Podcast. Be sure to log on to our website, www.cato.org, for a full archive of our podcast as well as many other audio offerings. The recent elections were in some way a victory for property rights, as voters approved nine out of 11 state ballot initiatives prohibiting the seizure of property for commercial use. The two that failed were in California and Idaho. Today's podcast is a phone interview with Timothy Sandifer, who is a Pacific Legal Foundation attorney and author of the Cato book, Cornerstone of Liberty, Property Rights in 21st Century America. Ballot initiatives curtailing eminent domain abuses won an important victory on Election Day. Oh, definitely. I think it was a remarkable nationwide landslide in favor of private property rights. How so? Well, there were ballot initiatives on the ballots of 12 states that had something to do with private property rights. Of these, one of them didn't have anything to do with eminent domain. That was Washington State. It controlled what are called regulatory takings, which is when the government deprives a person of their property rights through a law, as opposed to just coming out and seizing the property through eminent domain. That initiative lost, and two others also lost. But otherwise, in the other nine states, the initiatives that protect property against eminent domain and in some cases regulatory takings, were overwhelmingly approved, sometimes by more than 80% of the popular vote, a nationwide average of 75%. So it was a remarkable day for private property rights in the country. Why did California's ballot initiative fail despite Governor Schwarzenegger's apparent opposition to eminent domain abuse? Well, I don't think that Governor Schwarzenegger is opposed to eminent domain abuse. He's made no references to the issue at all in his speeches or press conferences or anything. He's spoken on the issue exactly one time, so far as I know, and that was when he came out in opposition to Proposition 90. Proposition 90 had a lot of serious flaws to it. There was some language in there that was very complicated, some that was not defined, and some that was self-contradictory. So it did seem sloppy in places. Nevertheless, it came very close to being passed, within five percentage points of being approved by the voters. So I think that indicates that there is real support out there for reform on the issue of eminent domain in California. One of the problems was that California and Nevada and Arizona and Idaho, the initiatives in those states, were about both eminent domain and this regulatory takings issue. And the regulatory takings issue is more controversial because there are so many government programs that take property rights from people through regulations that there is a lot less popular support for reforming those kinds of things. Uh, Environmental groups and other organizations are very much in favor of using government power to take people's property rights in this way without compensating them. So they were in opposition to Proposition 90 and these other initiatives. Two of them passed, the one in Nevada and one in Arizona, but the one in Idaho and the one in California failed. So that's the best way to explain why the other states' initiatives failed? Yes. The one in, in Idaho, that one was about both regulatory takings and eminent domain, and it failed by about 75%. The Washington State Initiative was only about regulatory takings, and so it didn't have anything in it about eminent domain, which of course is the controversy that everybody's paying attention to, and it failed also. Nonetheless, the success of the ballot initiatives shows that American opinion is united on this issue and that it's going in a certain direction. Definitely, I think so. I I don't think I know of any example of an issue that has been raised at the same time in so many different states and has received so much overwhelming popular approval, let alone popular attention. I mean, this issue has really galvanized the country. Because remember, in addition to these initiatives that passed in the election, we've seen reforms or some sort of attempted reform in something like 26 states already, as well as action in Congress, although 
it turned out that Congress wasn't willing to really make any kind of permanent reform. But I think that it's very rare that you've ever seen this kind of national outcry over a single issue and seen it last for so long. I mean, when was the last time that there was still outrage over a Supreme Court decision a year after it was made? It's not very often that people get so galvanized about a particular issue. How extensive have been the seizures or the threat thereof since Kilo? Well, in the year since the Kilo decision was announced, the Institute for Justice tracked more than 5,000 cases of eminent domain abuse in just that one year, which if you average it out is three times the normal rate. The normal rate was established between 1998 and 2003. There were 10,000 cases of the use or attempt to use eminent domain for private development. And here we've seen 5,000 just one year. Now, part of that is that a lot of these cases were on hold awaiting a decision in the Kelo case. But a large part of it is also that bureaucrats in local government seem to have seen the Kelo decision as open season on property rights. And they think that it means it's time to go ahead and act now before these initiatives get passed that will protect property rights. Are any steps being taken to narrow the definition of blight? In some states, yes. Indiana and Pennsylvania have enacted laws not long ago that very strictly define the term blight. Because, as you know, government can come in and seize blighted property and transfer it to private developers for their own use. The definition of blight, unfortunately, is very vague. Indiana and Pennsylvania have strengthened their definitions. In California, we saw five new laws were enacted in October that supposedly restrict the abuse of eminent domain. But when you actually read them, they really don't do much of anything. One of them supposedly limited the definition of blight. But when you look at it, it still says things like, factors that substantially hinder the economically viable use of buildings, whatever that means. So really, that really doesn't do much. In fact, we haven't seen any kind of reform in California yet. At this point, what is a citizen's best recourse? Is it legal, or should one hope for more legislative action to be taken? Unfortunately, at this point, the most that a property owner can do is to agitate in front of political bodies. That means go to your city council meetings. If you hear that your property is going to be declared blighted or that they're going to form a redevelopment district in your area or something, the most important thing to do is to go down to the city council meeting and protest it and then demand reform through your state legislatures. Courts have shown reluctance to get involved in this. Ohio's Supreme Court in July ruled against these kinds of takings in a marvelous victory for private property rights. And we've seen the Michigan and Oklahoma Supreme Courts issue similar decisions. But it takes a long time for these cases to come up, and you can't really rely on the judiciary in this area, especially after Kelo, which, as I said, pretty much signaled open season on property rights. If you enjoyed this program, consider subscribing to Cato Audio, a dynamic 60-minute monthly recording that brings you inside the Cato Institute for highlights from exceptional, one-of-a-kind lectures and events on key issues of the day presented by nationally known scholars, authors, and political leaders. Cato Audio is available on our website as well as on iTunes and audible.com.